and welcome to the 24-7 Sports College Basketball Show. I'm your host, Trey Scott, joined by college basketball's all-time career assist king, Jerry Meyer. Jerry, we got a different setup here. We're in a fancy new studio. Yeah. We're going to try to maintain eye contact. And uh, Although today I think we're kind of rivals because Texas, Lipscomb, we're recording on April 4th. All the NIT marvels tonight, Jerry. That's yeah, interesting, isn't it? Yeah, our alma maters. Yeah. Are you oh, are you fully behind your alma mater? Uh, I think it would mean more for Lipscomb to yeah. win this one than for mine. So I'm going to root for you. Yeah, and it, you know, it's been tough for me to root for Lipscomb lately <clears throat> with a lot of history. Sure. But I love this Lipscomb team. They're fine. I, I would like to see them win it. They they have won me back. Good deal. Into the fold of the Bisons. <laughs> Bisons. <laughs> um, before we get started, we'd love for you guys to take a moment and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Leave us a five-star review. We're also available on Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts. If you're listening to this on the 24-7 Sports Media Player, just hover over with your cursor on that subscribe button. Uh, find the icon of the podcast you want to listen to and click subscribe. Jerry, let's get going. The final four is Saturday, and... You know, I think if you talk to someone on the street, they probably wouldn't be able to name more than one Final Four team. But we've got Virginia versus Auburn. We've got Texas Tech versus Michigan State. It seems like a little bit of a letdown Final Four. Is that fair? Uh, Are you intrigued by these games? I mean, it's a letdown to the Duke, <laughs> Kentucky fans, Kansas others, and North Carolina who didn't make it maybe as a nation, maybe to the TV networks. Uh, they think they're going to lose some marginal viewers, but as a basketball guy, I'm pretty excited. I, I like I like the matchups we have. Uh, I, I like to see new blood in there. Talk me into Auburn versus Virginia. That's the first game on Saturday. Th these games will be played at U.S. Bank in Minneapolis. Virginia's a five-and-a-half-point favorite. That game tips at 6.09 Eastern time. It's a clash of a, an Auburn team that – wants to shoot the three and wants to turn you over versus a Virginia team that's going to slow things down. And in Virginia, I'm, they have one of the best defenses in the country, but they have been vulnerable to the three-point shot this tournament and not just against yeah. Purdue. Well, you can get threes against them. I mean, they, <clears throat> they're playing the pack line defense, but they're really playing the pack line defense. And so it's an interesting matchup. Auburn can pull it off if they're hot because they're going to get shots. Auburn whips the ball around so well. I mean, one of the quickest passing college teams of this season. I mean, the ball just move, they'll move it corner to corner. They play unselfish. Guys make the extra pass. They're going to try to push it. So they're, they will get threes. <clears throat> and, you know, Virginia does a good job getting a late hand up contesting. But, I mean, this Auburn team, when they're going, they don't care about a late hand. <laughs> Well, you explain to me, the, and I think it's kind of cool because we have the cameras here. We can yeah. use, you know, yeah, I can get my what, hands going. The pack line defense, mm -hmm. especially right now, people are going to be. This is like a few years ago in the Super Bowl when RPO became this. Whoa! Yeah. What's the RPO? People are going to talk about the pack line defense. What is that exactly? Well, you know, came in just quick history came into vogue with Dick Bennett. Basically, Dick Bennett gets credit for creating it, or at least giving it the, the nomenclature. And you have uh, – and then Sean Miller ran it well, Xavier and Arizona. And then then it just gradually pretty much everyone runs it now. It's like the standard man-to-man -man defense. Now, Auburn does not. Um, Texas Tech, not so much because they're funneling, funneling the ball to the baseline. So to get to what it is, you, you want to pressure the ball 
but you're not out trying to deny passes. You know, that used to be, that's how you played man-to-man, you know, back in the days, like when I you played. You, like, shade the guy? Yeah, you're out there denying the ball, trying to not let him catch it, but guys became so skilled with the dribble. Anyone good is going to beat you one-on-one, you know, most of the time. So you have, so the idea is let's don't worry about him passing to this guy as long as it's a non-penetrating pass. You know, we'll just try to make a bubble around the arc and keep players out of the lane. You're ready to help. Uh, a great example is when Duke, at the end of the game against Michigan State, they're trying to go one-on-one with RJ. And if you notice, as a fan, and the problem was Duke wasn't moving. So Michigan State was just there sitting perfect. Guy on RJ, two guys basically on the elbow, splitting the difference between their man and the ball. You let the ball be. As soon as you see the pass your man, boom, you make a quick closeout, and then that guy drops back. So you're always ready to help on either side. You square up on the ball. You're not really forcing it to the baseline, which Texas Tech does that. So, you know, best I can analyze it, Michigan State, Virginia run pretty much a true pack line. Um, Auburn, no, they're more pressure, chaos, out there denying, doing it a little differently. And then Texas Tech, uh, similar principles, and they're more willing to switch. And you can always switch out of any defense and forcing it more to the baseline, sort of old school, you know, keep it on one side, force it to the baseline type defense. So Virginia's slow pace of pace, play, pace of play comes in on the offensive end. If you're, if you're coaching, let's say you're a coach for Auburn, how are you attacking this team, Jerry? Are you trying to get out and run? Are you trying to slow it down? You, man, you're trying to make it as fast as you can make it. Uh, we talked about Auburn versus North Carolina, and North Carolina, of course, wants to play fast, and – Bruce and me were on the same page. Bruce was like, well, we're going to play faster. You know, that's what we do. We're going to play faster. Auburn has no choice against Virginia. They need to try to get after them, really pressure their guards, try to make them feel like they have to dribble, you know, make plays. You know, I thought that was a key in the Auburn-North Carolina game. Going into it, I said, Auburn needs to make North Carolina dribble as much as possible. They're a great team passing or great passing as a team, mm-hmm. but not really a dribble create like, you know, as a team. Same with Virginia. Get them dribbling the ball, pressure, get all up in their face, make it chaotic. And then when you get it run, you're looking for transition threes. You don't really want you, you wanted a full court game. So right. I think it's a pretty easy breakdown. Yeah. Let's see. Let's see who does it better. I think it's a fun contrast of styles, and Auburn has been a, a, a great transition three team, uh, especially Bryce Brown. That, yeah, that's what it's going to come down to. If Auburn can create a little chaos on the defensive end, and then push it, and then, you know, I hate to say it, but make shots is <laughs> pretty to. important. Yeah, and in this game, I think it's one of those. Yes, if Auburn is dialed in from three, look out, they can pull it off. If they can't disrupt Virginia and if Virginia stays comfortable, because, you know, obviously if Virginia's scoring, then it's tougher for Auburn to run on them. You know, it's that type of game. Then Auburn gets set on D. If it becomes a half-court game, I mean, Virginia gets set on D. And if it becomes a half-court game, huge advantage, Virginia. I mean, I think anyone who's watched any ball at all can can see a lot of this. Um, As we look at... You know, top players on the court. Virginia's got DeAndre Hunter. Uh, looks like a lottery pick, obviously. Uh, top 10. What do you like about his game? Uh, versatility, you know, I mean, versatility. He's got the size, athleticism, 
to do multiple things, and he has a skill set. So, you know, he can give you versatility on defense, gives you uh, versatility on offense. Um, he'll snag rebounds. Um, is You know, it's not always easy, but he's sort of that athletic punch in a very deliberate style of play, and I think he handles that very well, where a lot of players wouldn't be able to. <laughs> They'd be like, I got to get out of here and transfer. Um, he, he does a great job for Virginia in that regard. He is shooting 50% from the field, 43% from three-point range in his last 14 games. He wasn't very good against Purdue, though, so we'll see if he catches fire. Yeah, he's kind of key because he will come and go sometimes. Yeah. Um, I think he had a poor game in the ACC tournament. Um, I can't pinpoint it. There's some games he kind of disappears, and they, obviously they don't need that in the Final Four. Does Auburn have a, is it a team It's is a team without a first-round pick? Probably. Oh, I would think – well, yeah, unless oh, Kiki. But, uh, you know, I think he's a possibility. We talk- don't really – yeah, and, and that makes you wonder because usually those teams don't win at all. Yeah. But they – I do like the uniqueness – of Auburn, I think that gives them an advantage. I love their toughness. I think they're very mentally tough. You know, they they play hard, they play smart, and they play together. You know, most of the time, <clears throat> those are three. You know, your three base critical elements to playing winning basketball. So it's it's going to be very very interesting to watch. Bryce Brown, the transition three, he loves it. Talk to me a little bit about that. And they're going to have to get that up and running. They're going to have to get out and run against Virginia. Yeah. Why is the transition three? You kind of hear about it. It's like this, what is it, a beautiful shot to step into? Why is yeah, that? Yeah, yeah, your, your momentum's moving towards the goal. I mean, we start there. You're usually more open. You feel rhythm. I know all these old school color analysts don't like it. You know, oh, it's a quick shot. Dude, get with the times, man. It's it's all teams, even teams that don't play that fast, they're probing, looking for that easy rhythm, open three in transition where you have weight going forward. There, there's a certain freeness uh, in the half court. Sometimes, you know, like if you're shoot, shooting a spot up three and you got to wait, you got to wait, you kind of get stiff. You know, if that rhythm in right, that's why I love how Auburn just whips the ball around, sort of a la uh, Golden State War, Warriors. And and then a lot of times in the half court, you're you're going to be moving away from the goal, or on the you know parallel to the goal, and that makes the shot tougher. You're not just coming in towards your target, and you're generally more guarded. Yeah, I feel like if Auburn hits threes, we've got a really good game on our hands. If they don't, we'll see. What it, do you agree with that? I mean, that's pretty basic X factor. I think I, yeah, I think Auburn's three point shooting is going to be huge. And then um, turnover to assist with, you know, really with both teams. I mean, that's a critical stat to me in analyzing any team. But if they can create a little havoc um, for uh, Virginia on their offensive end, if they can make threes, that's the formula for Auburn. I feel like the pressure might be on Kyle Guy a little bit. He had a really good second half against Purdue, but he had been slumping a bit. And, you know... Well, I think it's always kind of on him. He's their big shot maker. You know, he's that guy that <clears throat> needs to make them in the second half. They've counted on him to make them. Uh, he has to take some tough ones, you know. So, I, I don't th- you know, I think it's the typical pressure he feels every game. You going with Vegas on this one? You got Virginia? 
I, you know, I guess this, I this spread, I thought five, so five and a half, right there. So that means I don't know. I don't know. I really don't want to answer this question because I don't know. Maybe a little bit, maybe a little bit leans Auburn because of the points, and I think Auburn has a real viable chance to win it. But then I could also, yeah, you know, the other narrative of Virginia just controlling the game and being too big and not getting rattled, that's very possible as well. We're going to talk about it in a little bit. I'm going with Virginia. I think Auburn – I think the shooting in the dome is a factor. We'll talk oh, about that. Yeah. I want to talk about that. Yeah, we'll we'll get into that, that in a little yeah, bit. We need to get to that. Um, so I don't know if Auburn's going to come out as hot. And also, I just don't think they're going to have the opportunities to run and get those transition threes that they love and really you. get cooking. Yep. Next game, Michigan State, the two seed, having just toppled America's sweetheart, the Duke Blue Devils, two-and-a-half-point favorite over three-seed Texas Tech, which I think Texas Tech is actually, of all the Final Four teams, sort of – the real, like, America's I, – I feel like if you don't have a dog in the fight, I've seen a lot of people say I'm rooting for Texas Tech. And maybe that's just because my Twitter timeline might be a little bit more influenced by Big 12 country. But of all uh, the – Possibly. I, I'm not sure which is more improbable, that Texas Tech or Auburn's in the Final Four. And I think if you had told either fan five years ago, they would, you know, oh, football? Cool. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad there's a playoff now. That, that would be a crazy final if those two were oh my pulling gosh. off. Who would ever imagine that? Uh, Jerry. Yeah. Jarrett Culver. First player. He is having an impact on both ends of the floor. He's Texas Tech's leading scorer. He's also the first player, get this, since Dwayne Wade in 2003 to have 85-plus points, 15-plus assists, 5-plus blocks, and a four-game tourney run. So that kind of puts in context – how special he has been on both ends of the floor. You love him as a lottery pick, as a top 10 pick as well. Yeah, I think he's a great talent. Oh, d to me, definitely top 10. I think you can make arguments top five. So do love his game, you know, and he's just one piece. Uh, their, their guards are playing well. Mooney Moretti are playing very well. Tariq Owens showing some defensive spark for them. They have some depth. Um, and you know, we you know we both really like this team. The, the, my big concern is getting beat up inside, especially against a team like Michigan State, who they come to the court with a club. You yeah, know I mean? they come ready to um, to go to war and, in the paint. And you mentioned Tariq Owens, Texas Tech's enforcer inside. He's sort of a spindly, tall, skinny right. shot blocker. Well, how does that look against Nick Ward? You make a well, good. They're going to have. They're going to have tough time defending them in the post. I think the game plan if you're Michigan State is to pound it inside, <clears throat> try to get foul trouble, and just you're bigger and probably have an advantage down there uh, to score. It's not just about foul trouble, and that's what Michigan State pretty much does anyway. You know, they have a very balanced attack. They're not just going out there firing up threes. They're probing inside first. I, I think that's a very favorable matchup to Michigan State, in my opinion. I remember West Virginia wore out. Uh, Texas Tech at the end of the season as a Big 12 tournament, wasn't it? Like 13 rebound advantage on them. So that, that would be my concern if I am Texas Tech um, holding down holding down the defensive boards because they're going to – Texas Tech, we saw against Michigan, 
so difficult to score on. Oh, yeah. I mean, they kind of ruined that game, both teams. We never really recapped that. I was so excited about that game. That was your game. I was cussing it out after like five minutes. I was like, this is horrible, man. No one can score. No one can get a shot. You know, if you just wanted to see – I thought there would be better offense, but it really showed me how good a defensive team's – um, those two teams are, but Texas Tech and then Michigan State, it could be the same type deal. Well, I mean, Gonzaga... It may had, not be the prettiest game. Gonzaga had the number one offense in the country, mm-hmm. and Texas Tech turned that into literally the entire game was a one-possession game. Like, Gonzaga's used to, you know... Right, couldn't make their runs. Yeah, they couldn't make their runs. Texas Tech, Virginia does get all the acclaim nationally for great defensive team. Texas Tech has, according to Ken Palm... They're number one. Number right? one defense. Mm-hmm. Now, offensively, they're not as good. Michigan State, I think that's probably why they're favored. They are more balanced. Yeah, they have that inside advantage. <clears throat> well, offensively, more, right, more ba- yeah, more yeah. balanced, balanced on both ends and in- interior defense, perimeter defense. I, as much as I like Texas Tech, and going into the tournament, I was not sold on Michigan State. Boy, was I wrong. If I learned a lot, and wow, can Izzo coach? I mean, two great coaches here, Chris mm-hmm. Beard and Izzo. I mean, Final Four in general. Yeah, phenomenal job by Tom Izzo with this team, and I, I would probably have to go with the favorite in this one. If I'm, su- I'm sure that question was coming. Yeah, so I mean, I'll go ahead and answer it. I, I, Michigan State's Cassius Winston's doing doing things that with the you know twenty points, ten assists game. When you look at like Michigan State's tournament history, has him in the same breath as Draymond Green and Magic Johnson. Yeah, he he gets Game that cleans. engine going. Yeah. He... Uh, no doubt. He's a special special point guard. I read some stuff, you know, just in my reading about all this, and it was a co- uh, opposing coach's point of view, and he talked a lot about how deceptive Cassius is. You know, like, he just he, he keeps you off balance. You know, he's like a great, good poker player type deal, like deception. You think he would do this? Normally, a player would do. Boom! He's got a counter for it. So, is it sleight of hand, or is it? Yeah, well, just movement? being good, you know, and and not being predictable. And yeah, maybe he's not the quickest, but maybe he's a lot quicker than we think. And his showing you this, and then boom, he's doing that. You know, just his demeanor, his body. I mean, it's like a crafty pitcher who's changing pitches. You don't know what's coming till it's too late. That makes him so much quicker. And and he's he pushes the ball off the court. The thing about Michigan State, they they, I really love their style because they're always probing, always have you on the defensive, and then they got Cassius who's really directing it. And they have balanced pieces. They got their wings are playing really good the right now. So well, they've stepped up their game. Then you, you have guys who can score inside. You, you're always having to play defense you're always under attack but they don't just they make good decisions and if it's not there they won't force it but as soon as you relax boom they're on you because you think all oh, the michigan state they're deliberate they're not that talented it's just team basketball now they got some guys that can go and, and they go as a team crafties might be my new favorite adjective to describe cassius winston he is, i, I read crafty like, he he's you know probably still has a lot of baby weight that he's shedding and I, you know, you imagine as a middle schooler, maybe he was that, you know, the sort of chunky kid who no one really took seriously. And so there you go. He had to learn to be crafty early on. Yeah, kind of like right. reminds that me. Of, might be the case. Paul Pierce always had a little extra weight on him once yeah. he got to the NBA, and but he just 
the news. You've had to play. Yeah, exactly. Did, you know, guys, that, some guys are really effective by playing really fast. Jared Harper. And they can pull it off. Yeah, you know, tons of players in the NBA. That's how, like, a lot of players have their success. Then you have these guys that slow it down a notch. It's kind of like a change-up in baseball. That throws people off. Mm-hmm. You know, just that. Like an Andre Miller. Down, and then it gives them a burst. Yeah. And then they can surprise you with that, lull you to sleep, and then they rely on their, their moves, their deception, their fakes, you know, their moves. We are going to take a quick break to hear from our partners. When we get back, we're going to dive into the one-and-done conundrum. Can you win a national title with it? And we're also going to talk about shooting optics in a football stadium. We'll be right back. On May 23rd. I want to go back to normal. What's normal? The Paramount Plus original series, Evil Returns. We've already hunted werewolves and demons. And now what? A baby antichrist? <laughs> Prepare yourself. You will not beat us. For the end. I have visions of hell. Make it stop. Make it shut up. You're not gonna survive this. Evil. The final season. Streaming May 23rd. Only on Paramount Plus. This is Tony Kornheiser's show. I'm Tony. You expected someone else? So what exactly is the show about? Hmm, I don't know. It's a sports show nominally. Football's over, but we're finally at a point where things matter in college basketball. And baseball season is on deck. Greatest three words in the English language, pitchers and catchers. We have some of the best voices come on and explain what matters or what makes an upset, like Ryan does, <laughs> nine over eight. No, that's not an upset. No, yeah, it is, Bob. And if you're lucky, I might just tell you about my search for discounted sleep pants or my worries about what my dog just ate. Listen on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the 24-7 Sports College Basketball Show. This is Trey Scott, joined by Jerry Meyer. Jerry, since the inception of the one-and-done era in 04, uh, and the period was probably coming to an end soon, we think there have been two true one-and-done teams to win the national title. Kentucky with Anthony Davis, Michael Kidd-Gilchrist, and then Duke with Ja Okafor, Justice Winslow, um, Tyus Jones. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of good one-and-done teams this year, especially Duke three of the top recruits in the country. None of them are in the final four. Not, there's not one one-and-done player on any of the final four teams. Can you still win a national championship with a one-and-done team? Yeah, I mean, I, <clears throat> sure, I think you can. Um, I think the odds are with it not happening because how many teams have one-and-done players? So your, your pool's very small compared to the field out there who does not. But in recent times, it seems like the best success, you know, like last three years, right? Uh, Villanova, North Carolina. Uh, the perfect recipe is to have players that are going to be NBA players, but they're not ready to leave that first year, so they stick around. Or you have guys, you know, so then you, so what you have are guys that are five stars, like a Justin Jackson, but it took him a couple years mm-hmm. to get to where he needed to be. And then to have guys like a Joel Berry who are right outside that cusp, like a Cassius Winston, he was like high four-star. It seems like a lot of these teams, uh, these last three years, the championship team has had guys that are like in that top 50, top 75. And then by the, you know, three years later, man, they're playing like five stars. I guess so that you, you accidentally fall into that. Yes, right. A lot of people are like, oh, it's the wrong strategy. No, Don't recruit Zion. You're going you're gonna to recruit the best players, right? Roy Williams, when he recruited Justin Jackson, 
he, he didn't know it would work out that way. He didn't know that, you know, Joel Berry would get that good, but yet still stay. And, you know, it was just perfect because the, the scouts had questions about him because of his height and all that. Um, the, the guard Page, Marks Page, yeah. I believe, who played for North Carolina, similar thing. You know, you, you get what you can get, and then it, it just kind of worked out for those teams, in my opinion. I don't think they had a blueprint plan. No, I can't. They have certain type of players they want, and the higher rank they are, the better. And maybe there's a really high rank guy that, you know, like who's, you know, like I don't know what you'd say Zion fits in any type of system or an RJ, but they're just super, super good. If you have a chance to get them, heck yeah, you recruit them. Yeah, because I don't think they're looking at, you know, list on their recruiting big board, they're like, we're going to get this guy because he has so many flaws that he can't go pro yet. Like, you, right. you want the best guys. Yeah. Uh, it's funny. Michigan State makes the Final Four now. Last year, they didn't make the Final Four. They had one one-and-done player in Jaron Jackson, and another, Miles Bridges, actually stayed a second year. He was considered a one-and-done talent yeah. as well. So I think, you know, that's just kind of a – it points to how fickle this whole thing is it's and how fickle. absurd it is to say, don't recruit one-and-done right. players because the coach who's in the Final Four – Literally did that last year. Yeah, I don't know if people appreciate how hard and difficult it is to win a national championship. I mean, things have you have to get lucky. Things have to go right. I mean, I'm sure we could look back at all the teams that have won national championships and we could find, man, if this play had gone a different way. You know, Auburn's a great example right now. I know, you know, they've just reached the Final Four, but they could easily have been beat that first game. Um, so it's... Luck is involved. You're playing against a lot of other very good teams. That they don't just, you know, you just don't pick them off a tree. National championships. I, I think like the fans of the Blue Bloods are a little overly critical. Have a little bit of a delusion of, oh, we should win a national championship every other year. I mean, you know, it's it's very very difficult. Outside of the pool of teams with a truly stocked roster of one and done talent being small. Jerry, why might it be hard for a team with freshmen to win the national title? Are there yeah. are the coaches making sacrifices in what they're installing because of uh, how young or like Duke? Well, you have to keep it more simple. Sure. I mean, you know, they're freshmen. They don't have the experience in general. In life. But, yeah, just the maturity to handle pressure. Again, we're, we're doing in general. There are some freshmen that are ready for it and some upperclassmen who will. But it's nice to have a little more continuity. Guys that have played together, been in the trenches together, um, have had you know experiences of pressure, being successful, being unsuccessful. You know, they've just played together. You know, we, we, we don't think we need to overthink it. Yeah. It's, it's great to have talent. The other thing is, like, when you talk about one-and-done players – we see it all the time. Players enter the draft after one year, and we wouldn't necessarily say they're ready. You know, like look at Nazir Little. North Carolina at the end of the season just started to get something out of him. He stays another year. Think about how much North Carolina would get out of him. That, so that's where it's kind of tough. So yeah, the the guy who's not good enough to go lot. I mean, to go into the lottery or first round and doesn't enter the draft, but he's a really, really good player, say a top 50 guy, he stays another year, man, he's going to be tough to beat that next season. Jalen Brunson. Yeah, and yeah, and you just lost your guy. Um, a lot of times 
the college with the guy that goes one and done, they just don't really get the ju- they don't get to squeeze all the juice out of that prospect. Yeah, no, I mean he won't be playing the Thursday NIT final, but Texas's Jackson Hayes is a good example of a guy who's going to go top ten, just scratching the surface. Yeah. wasn't a five star recruit, wasn't close. Yeah, to and what he, he averaged like nine, ten points. Yeah, I it think becomes, he never had know, a double double. Yeah, I think I think you know we're not going to spend much longer on this. Duke Duke fans, Kentucky fans are obviously frustrated. North Carolina, I think, but it's so accidental almost that Roy Williams has lucked into this. I'm mixing and matching one and done talent with four year standouts, and it's going really well. And I think mm-hmm. I think Kentucky was closer to that this year than Duke was. Duke just seemed like you know we have three guys. Yeah. <laughs> all their great players were the youngsters, you know, the four guys, and they're just trying to find someone else who can play with them, and they can't have all four on the court all the time. Uh, yeah, no doubt I think the perfect setup is to have a nice little mix yeah. of one and done and guys that have been around. Back to this year's Final Four, last thing I want to ask you about. Yeah. This is a storyline every single year. You're playing basketball inside a football stadium. The optics are a little bit weird. Your your court is set up on a stage. Last year, Michigan in the title game shot 13% from three-point range. So, if you're looking at, you know, if you're looking at Auburn, you're a little bit concerned. Jerry, we've talked about this in a, in a few podcasts ago. What is it about shooting in this huge dome stadium that makes it so hard? It's it's just depth perception. So the further the further your backdrop the tougher it is to gauge, you will tend to like, you know, if, say you, you took someone who wasn't used to such a big backdrop and you told them to shoot a free throw, they'd probably airball it short. You, it Because it makes the goal look closer to you because it's relativity because there's so much distance behind the goal. Mm-hmm. And I haven't seen the layout in Minneapolis, so I don't know exactly. But that that's the basic deal, <clears throat> you know, if you haven't ever – had the experience of shooting in a big dome. I feel like it's it, scary. I mean, and for me, it was like Kansas City, uh, the old Kemper Arena. That was my experience as a small college player coming from more confined type gyms. They're basically like big high school gyms. And then we would go to Kemper, and it's like, whoa, man, you know, like it really messes with what you're used to. That's where you got to go with your feel and not make it such an eye shot. You know, there's a new theory now in shooting called loose vision and you know, like, I, I can't stand a guy who's shooting free throws and is just, like, staring at the rim the whole time. I thought the New Mexico State guy did that. When did he? When he only made one out of three. He was just, like, I, mean, I thought his eyes were going to bug out. I Man, I don't like that. Loose vision. You know, trust your feel. Your, your body knows where the goal is. It's, it's 10, you know, it's like the Hoosiers. It's 10 feet. It's 15, you know, back to the free throw line. Trust your body. Don't try to eye, because that, when you do that also, it stiffens you up. Your vision stiffens, your body stiffens. I, I digress here. No. But I think the tie-in dealing with the backdrop, you have to trust your body, trust your feel, and then also get up as many shots on that court as you can. I was going to ask. Oh, like if I'm – if I'm, here, here's what I think the smart teams do. Because they'll, they'll have like the practice for the public mm-hmm. at the Final Four. Have a little fun and then shoot a million shots, you know, and, and do some fast break stuff. Because another thing with the depth perception is passing. Um, I don't know if I brought – I know in some interviews I've talked about – I used to play pickup ball all the time at Vanderbilt in their gym and played this, my state tournament there in high school. And I remember 
more importantly, the state tournament, first time I really played on that court, there's so much room on the sideline that it threw off my passing on my long passes, getting the gauge. Overdoing it or under? Um, or just off? You know, let me think. You know, to be consistent, I would need to say I don't get it far enough because of the shooting. I just remember one pass I threw, and, man, I, th- I know I misjudged it. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe it worked out, but it scared the heck out of me. And I was like, oh, I got to adjust here. So you, to back to the point, do some fast break stuff and move up and down the court, and so you're getting the feel for the passing, but then get, just get as many shots up as possible. Don't make it tricky. Just get, get your main player shooting and your scrubs rebounding and just get shot, 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 and try to in-tune your vision with the, the way your body feels. Then go to some high school gym and have a real practice. Okay. You don't want to show the fans anything anyway. No. But sometimes I, I, I've, I've watched Final Four practices for the public, and I'm like, yeah, the fast break drill's cool, and you're dunking, and the crowd's ooing and on, and the guys are having fun. You're keeping it loose. Dude, shoot. <laughs> shoot. These guys need to shoot. They need to shoot. Yeah. And then – you know, then you do your real practice and your preparation somewhere else. Good stuff, Jerry. I appreciate you getting yeah. the shot, 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 hey, shots in. Shooters uh, need shots. <laughs> All right, guys, that's going to wrap up the uh, Final Four preview here on the uh, 24-7 Sports College Basketball Show. For Jerry Meyer, I'm Trey Scott. We'll talk to you all soon. Enjoy a great weekend of basketball.